it's kind of crazy times that we live in. I mean, wouldn't you agree? It's kind of crazy times. Uh, the news is sort of depressing, not sort of depressing, it's really depressing. Anytime you look at it, I, I have like a news app that I read most nights before um, I go to bed, so it's just kind of usually a depressing way to go to bed. So I usually skip over the top stories and try to find something that's uh, not so depressing. Does anybody else just kind of feel that, like the news cycle, if, you, if you're caught up in any of that, even uh, Facebook, which I remember when Facebook first started, like it was just this kind of college thing, and, and now it's become this this news source, and really it's become this, this vein of just um, opportunity to hear negativity and just constant negativity. And if, it was, if it's not for Facebook, it happens in the workplace too, and it happens in our home. Like everybody's anxious, and, and I think there's a cycle that's kind of taken place, and I think it's worth kind of bringing up um, because I think what I hear from a lot of um, children of God are not really... Um, postures and perspectives that the children of God should embrace. We'll feel them, but we really shouldn't embrace them in that we live in them on a daily and weekly basis. So uh, really really simply, I want to talk to you about hope this morning. Hope. And uh, I I think the the text we're going to get to is Romans chapter 8, and he talks about our position as children of God is really most of what he's talking about, our position as children of God. Um, our, our youngest son, Camden, is getting ready to be, become a, a, middle, a middle child, and, and that positional change is going to change his perspective. I don't know if you've heard about this stuff called birth order. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So like the, the order in which you're born kind of greatly affects your perspective in life. Let me see all the firstborns in the house. Yep. Yep, there's, there's like a, there's a um, I guess just a stereotype that goes with firstborns, right? And then there's a stereotype that goes with the babies. Where are all the babies at in the house, okay? Yeah, there's a stereotype uh, uh, that goes with it. And, and it's really interesting if you're in a dating or marriage relationship to see how that interacts with one another. And there's this whole like kind of science behind how it affects our perspective and our, and our experience in life. And so Camden's, get, his is getting ready to shift. He's been experiencing life as a baby and he's not going to be the baby anymore. And it's going to change his perspective, his position. And it's true. Like when our position changes, our perspective changes. Um, when some of the, the, there may be some teachers in the house and uh, when you were a student, you had a certain perspective on your teacher's life or what that teacher was going through. Now that you're a teacher, you view everything really differently. Or maybe you were just an employee at one point, and now you're a boss, and that positional change has affected your perspective on everything, right? You used to talk bad about the boss. Now that you are the boss, you don't want people talking bad uh, about the boss. Our position changes our perspective, uh, and it affects it, and, and that goes right into um, the, the text that we're going to look today. Not only does our, our position change our perspective, but our perspective ex- impacts our experience. It changes our experience. So uh, Camden's going to have a different experience, and, and we all go through this. There's, there's all, all these positional changes, and there's nothing more important that we grab a hold of how it impacts our perspective than our position as a child of God. And so we're going to turn to Romans 8 in just a second. We're going to pick up at verse 15, but I kind of want to let you know just some of these things that it kind of, uh, Im- how it impacts our perspective. You can go ahead and throw them up there. It, it impacts, it, it removes our condemnation, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So we look at our sin differently. And even it, when we do fall into a sin at some point, not a pattern of sin, but we fall into a, a, a sin or, or, or we fall short of the, the glory of God in some way. We don't feel condemned by that. We feel convicted. 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It removes our fear. We don't go back into fear. We'll read that in just a second. It establishes our freedom. This is greatly impacting our perspective. It shapes our desires. The things that before we responded to the call of Jesus that we just naturally desired, we don't just kind of give into those. In fact, God begins to establish our freedom from those things, and then we live that out on a daily basis. The flag of freedom that Jesus Christ put in the ground, we cling to and walk in that, and it shapes our desires. The things that we used to desire, whether that be lustful desires or or just earthly desires that we all have to fight, those are shaped. Our responsibilities and our priorities are shaped. And lastly, it defines our very identity. And so when, something, when God's doing this in our life, when we have this positional change, this uh, uh, defining our identity, it, it begins to shape our perspective on the world. And when I'm hearing so much, and the people around me, is, um, and, and, I, and I just see across the nation, is that we're not living, we're very fearful, and we're, we're still like giving into our own desires, and we're not living up to our responsibilities. Like in my house, like there's certain things my kids have to do. Like when you grew up uh, in your home, like there's certain responsibilities that each person takes place. Same thing in the body of Christ and our priorities. So we're going to dive into Romans chapter 8 and, and see what Paul's talking about to the church in Rome and see how that might impact us, particularly on this topic of hope. There's a lot of hopelessness in the world. There's a a lot of sinfulness in the world. Uh, And I just want to bring a word of encouragement to us today. Um, So let's read together uh, Romans chapter 18, or excuse me, there is no Romans chapter 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Um, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let's just stop right there. Uh, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves again, running back to fear. There's so much kind of fear being passed around about our future. And uh, man, we're not used to all this terrorism that's happening in every place. And, you know, we go to the movies a little bit differently you know, I even had a friend on Facebook last night, or actually not a friend, he's a family member. He and his son were at the movies, and a guy ran into the back of the movies and dropped a backpack down. And of course, everybody has to be evacuated. We don't go to the movies the same. Like there's, and this is just kind of all lingering, and it's just the lifestyle that, that uh, we're living across the globe is this, this fear. But because of our identity in Christ, like we don't run backward. We don't run backward towards fear. We're not a slave to that. We run forward in faith. We move forward in faith. And so if you find yourself, that fear coming on, you you got to push that away. And the big thing that's being said here, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. And here's the reality of every single one of our identities, is that we're adopted. That we're adopted. I was uh, hanging out with some friends of mine who re- uh, recently adopted a child, and, and you know they haven't quite made the decision to um, to adopt again uh, or anything. But they were talking to their adoption agency, and they're saying, "Hey, like if you do decide to have another child, um, really consider having." Um, and and their their child is of a different race uh, than them, and they said, "Really consider." Uh, adopting again, um, and may, maybe adopting a, of a different race, so that there's this inclusivity. And for those of you in the room that have been adopted, you probably have a very, you know, heartfelt like uh, perspective on how that has impacted your life. 
Um, but the truth of the matter is that even if you've felt like an outsider in this world, or even in the body of Christ and you felt like an outsider, the truth of the matter is, is that we were all outsiders, and, and that God adopted us into his family. And this, this greatly changes our perspective, that the people that we sit on the rows with, um, the people that are across from us in the room, they're, they're not just random strangers, but they're brothers and sisters, Right? You have conversations with family members in very different tone of voice and emotion and honesty than what you have with random strangers, right? So that's what, one of the things that propels our ability to be honest is that we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it changes our perspective on the people around us because we realize that, that we were all once outsiders and that God has adopted us and it changes our perspective very greatly. Go back to that text for just a second. Because I love that, I remember as a child, I, was, I, I wondered, you know, um, if, if I was really a Christian, if I was really, you know, going to heaven, like that, that, that was the high focus, you know, when I was first coming to the faith, like I didn't want to go to hell, I wanted to go to heaven, and it was just that kind of simple of a view, right? Sometimes it's just presented that, e- you know, easily, do you want to burn in hell, or do you want to, like, run on streets of gold, right? It's just that sometimes it's presented to us in that way. So I understand everything, um, and so I was really nervous. I was nervous, like, God, am I, am I really your child, am I really, did I say yes? Like, did I say yes enough? Am I, am I good enough? And I had a kind of a whacked view on the gospel. But what this says is that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. There is an understanding. I, I knew, like, I, I don't know at that time because I was so questioned, I, I, I think that hadn't been confirmed in my spirit, you know, that the Spirit was testifying that. And it was very confirmed. And there was just a peace that there was no question in my mind and it's not just when I got my act together, which is how we often view it. It was when the Spirit really confirmed that in me, that I'm God's child. And for some of us, we have to battle, battle, battle through years or months of a mindset in which we feel like an outsider. And we feel like we're not worthy to be called His child. We have to battle some of those mental things, whether that has anything to do with our upbringing or things we've gone through or things that we've done um, but we battle those things and we come to the truth that, that the Spirit confirms that within our own hearts. Let's continue reading. Uh, and this gets so, so rich uh, for our lives here today. My page turned. Uh, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Um, For any English majors in the room or those that are really good with grammar or uh, just the English language, you know about a conditional statement, if, then, or the mathematics um, people in the room, there's if, then, if A equals B, and if B equals C, then A equals C, right? It's an if, then statement. It's building an argument of truth here is what he's doing, if, then, and even in the, um, uh, the, the Greek language here, it actually, there's two if-thens uh, in this particular translation. It doesn't say the second then. But now, if we are children, then we're heirs. Again, building on this idea of adoption, we've been adopted into the family of God, we become heirs, like there's an inheritance. 
Some of y'all, if you just be honest, like you know when your parents passed away, maybe they've already passed away. Some of you look for, and you're just thinking, there's no inheritance. There's no inheritance sitting at the end um, of their lives. Um, can you imagine being adopted into like Bill Gates' family, right? And knowing you're getting an inheritance that's, you know, crazy, which he's planning to give it like half of it away or something. He's really generous. But um, we're adopted into the family of God, and as children of God, if that's true, then we're also heirs with Christ. And what it's speaking about is this inheritance that we, we have, and it changes our perspective. It changes our, our perspective. And co-heirs with Christ that we, in this life, we take on, on first of all, the spirit uh, of Christ, and that we walk in the fullness of Christ, and in joy, and in peace, and in power, and in love. Um, but in the age to come, um, in eternity, like we'll experience the fullness of that in the body, that our, our hearts and our bodies indeed will be enriched and, and perfect, and there will be no decay um, in that time. So if that's true, and then it goes on to the second state, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to, uh, with the glory that will be revealed in us. I love that statement because uh, I think comparison goes on a lot. We compare ourselves to others, compare what's going on. And usually when we compare, we compare like our struggle to somebody else's struggle or what we have to what someone else has. Uh, it's been a statement that's going around a lot, but that, our, um, that, that uh, comparison is the enemy of joy or it's the thief of joy. It's not, like a, it's not straight from the Bible. It's just a quote that an author put out there and it's become very popularized. But if you look at this scripture, it's saying, don't compare like your life to someone else. Compare your, like it's actually saying don't even compare. It's not even worth comparing to your, the future glory that will be revealed in us. So it's not even comparing, but it actually changes our perspective by not looking at it here to here in the present time, but looking in the present towards the future. Our present sufferings verse that this word I, I consider is the Greek word uh, logizomai, which is where we get the, the word logic, and it's about calculations. And so he's building this idea of, of calculating in this conditional statement and building this idea of truth here. And I consider in, in the, the King James, it actually says, I reckon. Any of y'all got a little hick in you, and you say, I reckon, anybody? All right, so I, I came from a little hick town. Not many hicks in the room. Um, I came from a, a little hick town, and I heard the word reckon a time or two. I got lots of redneck family. Um, and it, it's really an English word. It came from the, it's in the King James. And uh, what's really funny is, like, uh, the rednecks are, like, really known for butchering the English language. But sometimes they like some words. So they, they liked reckon, and they said, I reckon. So you, you know how, how they'll use that. But it's basically saying, I calculate. Like in my logic, I reckon we ought to get on with it. Kyle, get on with your message. Get on from this idea. I reckon we ought to go down there, whatever it is. So I consider, like, in our, he, he's like, calculate this out. You, use your brain. Like when you're comparing something, if you're going to run some calculations, don't run it against what your neighbor is going through. Don't, don't compare it to their, to their suffering. Try to compare it to the glory that will be revealed in us. And, and this word revealed is the word apocalypsis, which means to, to lay naked, to lay bare, a manifestation. Like there's going to be this, this honest kind of revelation uh, about who we are. We'll talk about that more in a second. I heard this, um, or I saw this quote on Instagram about a year ago from this spoken word artist. He's a lyricist and, and rapper. 
And he put this quote up, and I was like, whoa, that's good. So I screenshotted it and knew at some point I, there would be a message that it was worthy to share. And he said this, suffering ain't suffering the second it finds meaning. Suffering ain't suffering the second it finds meaning. And I think that's so powerful in light of this particular verse that whatever we're going through, it's not even worth comparing with what's coming because at some point we're going to have hindsight, we're going to have 2020, and be like, man, that revealed this in me, that led me to this opportunity, that perfected this character in me. It's not even, it's not even worth comparing. Football season's coming up, right? Some football fans in the house, and uh, there's always these comparisons, who's the greatest of all time, Peyton Manning just retired. Um, it, it's like somebody coming to the table in that and being like, you know, let's, let's throw Jay Cutler in the conversation. He's the quarterback for the Bears, and he's not that, it's not that good. He shouldn't be in the conversation with the greatest of all time. It's, like, it's not even worth comparing. And so it's getting this perspective as a child of God. What we go through now is so temporary, right? But uh, I, I used to have um, a, a mentor. He's passed away now, but he'd always say, what's the difference between major and minor surgery? Well, mine's major and yours is minor, it's a, it's a perspective thing that I'm not comparing to what anybody else is, what, what's going on, but in light of the future glory that will be revealed in us, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. And so it begins to impact how we view our experience because of our position as a child of God, that there is meaning in this. And maybe you don't feel super glorious right now. Maybe life's kind of tough and, and you're fighting through a lot of things. Um, but just know that it will be revealed. It's a statement of fact. It will be revealed in us. Just walk in uh, that faithfulness. Uh, let's pick up at verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's powerful. Let me read that again. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, underline, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth uh, right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly too uh, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons specifically the, the redemption of our bodies. Let's unpack this because there is so much good in here when it comes to our mission as, as God's children. The creation waits in eager expectation. It's this anxiety, or it's this example of persistent and, and longing for a child of God to be revealed. You ever been going through something and you just really need someone real that's got... Jesus inside of them that's got God's presence. You just need him to show up. You're like you need, I need somebody real to call me today. You ever had one of those days? I've had some of those. Um, and, and begin to, to grab a hold of this, that there are people in your school, in your work, in your family, um, wherever you're at, that are like anxious and like persistently anxious waiting for a child of God to show up. Like waiting for one of them to be revealed. It's the same word, apocalypsis, to be revealed. Like someone would just like come out and, and, and like be revealed before them. It means to lay naked, to be bare. I'm, keep your clothes on before 
people out there, right? Um, but uh, you would just get real with someone, and that might impact them, and they're eagerly awaiting that, longing for someone, for a child of God, something real and true to be um, revealed. Because verse 20 says here, that for the creation was subjected to frustration. The, the Greek word for frustration means void of truth. Think about this for a second, Right? We see all this, we see that the earth uh, in our sinfulness been void of truth, but God didn't drop us into this. He didn't allow this to happen. God's, God, God's sovereign over all, right? A lot of times we can wonder why God didn't drop us in, into the mess, like we didn't grow into this mess without hope. Look at that word in there. I said underline it, not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it in hope. God's plan isn't just to leave us in the mess. It's to redeem us out of it. it. It's not for us to fizzle out in the darkness. It's for us to shine bright in the middle of it. And so it's in hope that we go through all these things. It's a, it's a perspective change. That just because it's wasting away and God's allowed it to happen. He, he, he left Adam and Eve with a choice between uh, just continuing to do what he asked them to do and enjoying the tree of life. Or, and they, they chose to do the one thing he said don't do, which is eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And they opened up. And from that time on, God sovereignly oversaw that the, the creation has been subject to frustration, being void of truth. And that we're left to, we, we figure it out ourselves until we respond to um, his redemption throughout creation. We know that this whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. We're just not surprised anymore, right? We're just not surprised about a terror attack anymore. We're just not surprised about terrible things that have taken place in our lives or someone else's lives. And I think we can just identify as children of God. It's just like the earth groaning for redemption. It's just them groaning for truth. And and, and people, the creation itself is waiting for a child of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You know, um, Taryn's pregnant, and like, I was telling somebody before church that uh, she's due in like four weeks, almost four weeks, and, um, but I really think it's going to be about two weeks, like I've just been saying that the whole time, two weeks early, and uh, obviously there's a lot of pains, but the thing, when, when pain in childbirth is taking place, right, it's, it's temporary for a lifetime of joy that's ahead, Right? There, there, there's got to be a little bit of suffering in order to find the meaning and experience the joy. And so view that in, um, in, in that lens as well. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan too. We groan too. Like there's some things going on in which it's just groaning. It, um, it's groaning here. But here's the thing we've got to be careful of is not like groaning turn to grief. Because we can groan in hope. When we groan without hope, it'll turn into grief. But if we groan in hope, it's a positive thing. Let's keep reading, and I want to talk about hope some. Um, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is, uh, is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, um, we wait for it patiently. That's really what this life is, you know, trying to teach our kids to have patience. And most of the time, we have, we have real trouble with being patient. And 
with what God is going to do in the long run. I was talking to a, I think she's 14 or 15 year old this week, and she's talking about her dreams to, to be a singer and different things, and I just came alongside of her. I'm like, hey, just know God's going to do way more in the long run than what you could ever imagine. But I'm not saying lower your expectations in the short run, but be patient. This season's important too. And so you may be wanting to rush ahead, um, but, but be patient in the season that you're in. See, how we talk about hope is really not in a biblical context. Because the biblical context of hope is really positive. But when we talk about hope, it's like, I hope there's enough burritos for everybody to have something. You know, I hope we don't run out of gas. I hope that dad makes it on, uh, home on time so we can make it to the movie or whatever it is. I hope, and it's just kind of a negative context. Like, there's really not, just hope. Hope it works out, right? And we don't realize what's going into that, but really we have a really negative context, so we don't even have hope at all. You know, or, or sometimes we hope on very tangible things that we can see, but hope indeed is a confident expectation about a positive and a good future. It, it, it's, it's a confident thing, and that's part of our position as a child of God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if we were really honest and we got really apocalypsis, if we got really open and transparent this morning, it was really revealed what was in our heart, and I said, all right, how many of you have insecurities about anything? If we were really honest, we'd all raise our hand about something. We might have to think about it, but there's something probably we're insecure about. We may not even have tapped into what it is. But the thing, as a child of God, when we have that positional change, we might not be confident about a lot of things. But we can be confident about one thing, is about who God is, what he's done in our life, and that, the reality of that truth, and it's a confident expectation. And so... And I, I think why a lot of us have a negative connotation of hope because we're still living our faith out by works and not by faith in what Jesus did and that he's perfecting it in us, right? And so when it's all in my hands, I do have a negative connotation because I've seen myself screwed up a bunch of times. I've seen myself fail and I, I fight that. But when I put my faith completely in Jesus, I can be really confident that he's going to work it out and he's going to perfect his will in my life. The scriptures affirm this in a way that I had never seen it so, like, I, I've read this next scripture we're about to read many, many times. I've never seen it quite like I've read it um, in, in the past week or two. Uh, let, let's continue reading that. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That same Spirit that affirmed in us and confirmed in us that we're a child of God. In that same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Catch this for just a second. This same groaning that we're groaning about creation and what's going on in our life, or our, while we're groaning that out to ourselves or to the Lord, the Spirit is interceding and groaning on our behalf. And I don't know about for you, but I'm, I'm, I'm human, and like I complain about stupid stuff sometimes. Anybody seen themselves become a diva real quick? We were talking about this. I, I was saying, uh, Taryn was like, I know, thank you for being, for being so good to me in the end of my pregnancy. You're really taking care of me. I'm like, babe, you are the, you're the lowest maintenance woman I've ever met in my life. Like, I got it good and I got it easy, and I'm so thankful for you because you're amazing. Um, and uh, and um, where the heck was I going, that, going with that? Um, it was really good. It wasn't in my notes, so there's no good chance of me finding it again. 
Um, yeah, I think I was just going to tell you that I can be a diva sometimes. So, um, who, who knows? That's what happens when I, I travel off my, my notes that are in my head. Um, oh, I was talking about groaning and, and just mumbling and being a diva sometimes. And us groaning, and the Spirit groans for us. Because I can be childish sometimes, the things I'm groaning to the Lord, I don't even know what I should be praying. But the Spirit steps in and read the next verse. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And that's why it says what it says next. Go to it, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for good, for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That's, that's why everything works out for good. It's not because like we finally got it right. It's because the Spirit that confirmed that we're a child of God is perfecting our prayers. He's perfecting our prayers, and he's teaching us what we ought to pray for. And Jesus did this with his disciples as they were asking how to pray. He was, he was kind of helping them know how to pray and really break that down. And the Spirit, as we're growing in the Lord and we're walking in faith, he is not just affirming everything we say, but he's even perfecting. That's how God works things out for our good is through the Spirit praying that uh, even on our behalf. We'll close out here. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? These guys can come up and go ahead and and, um, play a little something. When we live with hope, we can live with great, great confidence as our position as a child of God. And it's heartbreaking to see so many of us live through life not so confident about the future, running backward towards fear and not in faith towards the future. It's very easy for us to cower back to those things, but we can walk in the confidence because God is perfecting those things. He knows what he's doing in us. He's working the process. If you don't feel so glorious right now, just know that he's going to reveal it in us. There's people all around us that are waiting for a child of God to be revealed. But so many times that we don't take up those opportunities because really we just feel pretty hopeless in ourselves and we're not walking in the confidence and in the position that a child of God, an heir with Christ, should take on. And this is a game changer and this is a process, though. I know it's a process of just really taking on the mind of Christ in this, in this perfect plan. I, I heard this study that was talked about um, in a book I was reading, and, and it was about these, this kind of uh, study of these two rooms, uh, and, and it was with mice. Uh, and in one room, uh, the conditions were exactly the same except for one small detail. And in one room was a table with a Petri dish, like a large one, uh, some kind of container, and three or four mice in there. And they had a little bit of water, just enough to last them maybe a few days. Um, and the room was pitch black. And in the next room, everything was exactly the same. Petri dish, table, uh, a few mice in there, the same amount of water that they squirted in there. The only difference in these two rooms was that there was one little ray of light beaming into the room of darkness. And so these mice don't live super long. 
But because of the one in the darkness lived, I, I don't even remember what the exact figure was. Just forgive me for that. But, but whatever the figure was, they, they lived for a very short time. They lasted a few days to a week. But the room with the one ray of light, exact same conditions, everything's been the same in their life except the one ray of light. And that one went on to live like two or three times as long as the other one. That there was hope. There was hope. And for some of us that, that are fighting through kind of just the junk, the groanings of creation, the groanings even within ourselves about what's going on and looking for answers. I, I honestly don't have answers about everything, but one simple thing that we all can cling to and we can realize and recognize is that we're a child of God and, and, and everything that's going on, God's plan has not just been to leave us in the mess, it's to redeem us. It's not been to fizzle out in the darkness, but to shine brightly in it and we can hang on because there's hope and it's not, I hope it works out. It's confident expectation. God knows what he's doing and he's gonna perfect it in us. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what um, you're up against and what you're battling, but I, I know you're adopted into the family of God if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and you have brothers and sisters in this room and all around this globe. And you may be walking through a lonely season. You may be walking through a, a really fearful season about what's ahead. But I just want to, to bring the scriptures and, and just say God has given us hope. As his family, as his kids, um, and, and even in our suffering, there's great, great hope that God is going to reveal a future glory in us. And so... Um, just while you're seated, I, I just want you to fl- reflect maybe on what God's speaking into your life. Maybe the things that you've lacked confidence in. Maybe the things that you've been so anxious or the groanings inside of you and the worries. And, and I just believe that God's going to make a shift in someone as they leave today that we just realize, man, we're, we're a daughter of God. We're a child of God. We're a son of God. That position, that, that's beginning to affect our perspective in this moment, and then just every day, God, just renew that right perspective. Open our eyes to the people around us, God. God, that are longing, there's an eager expectation for a child of God to be revealed. I want to pray with you this morning, and I'm going to take a couple minutes just to invite you to the table. These guys are going to lead us in worship. God, I thank you that that we have hope. God, it's so full, and it's so rich, and, and God, we often fix our eyes on the temporary. We often fix our eyes on, on just the struggle and the suffering. But God, I just pray that our eyes would just glance to the horizon and see, God, that you are working things out for our good. Even when we don't even know what to pray, God, you're just perfecting it in us because we love you and you know our heart. You're perfecting those things in us. God, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. God, I just pray that you draw us into your perfect image. Those you called, you justified. Those you justified, you glorify. God, help us to walk in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. You weren't left in that tomb. You're resurrected. Help us to walk in the power of that uh, today and every day. And uh, we thank you for this great, great hope we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.